Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Friends, I'm so glad to be able to be back with you this, this morning and on maybe a more regular basis. Perhaps Pastor has mentioned to you that I've had the <clears throat> pleasure of being approached by him and your board um, if I would serve in a consultative capacity. And um, I'm honored to be able to do that. Um, uh, it's no secret. I think I've shared it at other times that God has given me a fondness for you as a church. Uh, there's a warmth about you that I just, my wife and I love to lean into, that we feel part of you when we're among you. We feel that God is at work with you and through you to accomplish things that will honor him, to, to encourage you, to strengthen you. And having this opportunity of being able to open God's word with you this morning is just my pleasure and it's my privilege. And thank you for the way that you prayed this morning. Um, Bruno, I think it's, uh, it was just reminded me of how dependent we are upon the Spirit of God both to speak and to hear. Um, in this passage of Scripture are Paul's closing words, his final words. I remember a humorist once said, you know, there are some people who say um, uh, lastly and they last, and others who say finally and finish. And Paul is one in that latter category. He sums it up. He writes some things. And I'm not sure about how you regard last words, the final words that people give you, often have a weight to them or a value in them that you don't want to forget. They're things that they have spoken to you that are of critical importance. I think of last words, things that someone on their deathbed might say. Uh, to you or to uh, about their faith and hope in Christ, that often these things are of, of valuable importance and, and we treasure them. And I think there's, there's truth in that in terms of Paul's writing to this church. His, his closing words include uh, a final instruction, which Ian referred to at the piano this morning as he was leading us in the team, uh, led us in excellent worship as we focused on Christ and what he's done for us. And it's here that we discover how the gospel is to be at work in us and how we are to devote ourselves to the gospel in two practical ways. We are to be devoted uh, to prayer and we are to be devoted to uh, relationships. Uh, specifically, we are to be devoted to prayer uh, because we are to have a right concept of who God is in prayer. He, he ends his letter on the same topic that he really began his letter with in chapter 1, verse 3. I just want to remind you that Paul wrote it and says, we always thank God for you. And you think, well, that's kind of nice, but really, how often do you think about us and pray for us? And he actually answers that. He says, not only when we pray for you do we have this attitude of gratitude about you, but it's, he says in verse 9, as he continues to introduce himself and the words he's going to bring to them throughout the text, he says, since the day we heard about you, we haven't stopped praying for you. In other words, you are constantly on our hearts. And we think about who, 
who God is in your life and what it is that he has done for you. And not only does that fill us with joy and gratitude, but we are praying about your spiritual formation. We want you to be mature. We don't want you to lack any good thing is a constant theme in Paul that as he's addressing believers as they gather to do the business of God in their community. Because we, we know your faith, we, we know your love, he writes to them, but we also want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now let's just hit a pause for that because... There is another person in the New Testament that when he taught his people to pray, referred to the same thing. This is what Jesus said. Remember when his disciples came to him and they said, look, you know, John is teaching his people, the the, uh, uh, Pharisees teach their people, teach us to pray. And Jesus said, well, when you pray, pray like this. And you know that was a prayer that was, in Canada at least, For those of you who are as old as I am will remember that the Lord's Prayer was often used as an opening prayer at the head of every classroom until it was determined by our secular government and society that that was no longer in the interest of children and they stopped it. But it starts with this relationship with God, Father who's in heaven, and we hallow you, we worship you, we want to magnify, glorify you is really what the Christian understands through that. And, and then the next thing that we say is, your kingdom come, your rule and reign be here among us, may it ever be extended and expanding. And then he says this, your will be done. Just on earth, through us, like it is in heaven. When you think about it, you, you know, I don't think there's a moment that an angel goes, no, I don't think I'll do that. They're immediate in obedience, aren't they? It's their pleasure. They serve at the pleasure of the emperor of the universe. And yet you and I often want to be consultative with God when it comes to his will. We, we want to pick and choose the things that we like or fancy or lean into because they please us. And some of the hard bits like fish bones we would set to the side and go, uh, maybe I'll return to this. Maybe not. You know what I'm talking about, this human assertiveness, this independent from the divine that is willing to do whatever we want. And so Paul returns to this in chapter 4, and he begins with a very simple instruction. And he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Be, Be steadfast and enduring in this. And when you think about devotion, when you think about this commitment to be a person of prayer, you realize that cuts across a lot of other things in our life, to be frank. Like if we're going to be devoted to something, I mean, you understand what devotion is. If you're devoted to your wife, what are the marks of that? People would say, do you, do you watch how he cares for her? Do you listen to how, how he speaks about her? Do you see that he is focused on her welfare and her interest and most women are ready to put an elbow in their husband's side about now, and so a little more of that, thank you very much. No, I'm teasing, but you understand, you, un- you see devotion. It-, it manifests itself because people make time and room for it. They give their best uh, parts of their life to serve that. 
So when I'm saying to this, be devoted to prayer, and, and Paul says this, be steadfast and be continual in prayer, he's really talking about the marks of devotion in which we want to be with God and speak to him about what matters to him here, now. It's not that we're memorizing nice phrases and they roll off our tongue with particular ease. Rather, it is that we are going to pray about those things that matter to God. And that's why Paul writes, devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says, stay awake in it. Be alert in it. As if you could drift in prayer. Now, is that possible? Is it possible that you are busy in prayer and you stop and go, oh my goodness, I I can't remember what I just prayed for. It's a bit like driving the car and your mind is wandering. Is it possible in the presence of God as it is in the presence of your wife and family? that you realize you haven't heard a word they've said in the last three minutes. You zoned out. Hmm. Is it possible that we go through perfunctory prayer but not devoted prayer? That we pray those things because we will feel guilty if we don't, but we're really not devoted because the focus of our prayer really is not God in the here and now. It's really about getting our list in place before him because Our prayers are so much more self-interested than they are alert to the things that the Spirit of God wants us to notice, attend to, and commune with him over. So his final instruction is be devoted to prayer. And he demonstrates what he means by when he begins the letter, as I've referred to. And you might really ask, well... How can I be more devoted to prayer? How is it possible I can fuel my devotion to prayer? And I want to suggest that devotion to prayer is fueled by your concept of God. And that's what Paul's been doing in the book of Colossians. Your devotion grows out of who God is, what God has done, his nature, his attributes, his actions. And if you know that this is the supreme ruler of the universe and you and I get to insert ourselves into his thinking and his listening and his action at any point, when you think of the freedom we have, the almost impunity, as it were, that, do you know what? When you say, Father, he attends you. I don't know about you, but I'm somewhat impressed by royalty. What do I mean? They're wealthy. Uh, they have this lineage. Uh, they live in a castle. Uh, they have uh, titles and estates. And Now, our monarch, Queen Elizabeth, is not a ruling monarch in the sense that, you know, off with your head and somebody lops it. Um, her powers have been curtailed successively over time, not just hers, but all of those that came ahead of her. And we understand that we are a constitutional monarchy, right? Meaning that we have democracy. We make decisions and the queen attends a few things, state functions. We have a governor general. I'm not mocking this. I'm just describing what it is. But our king of heaven has all authority and power. And we can name drop, you know, him. I remember Larry King interviewed Billy Graham when he was still among us some years ago, and he said, how do you know there is a God? And Billy Graham, without a a moment's hesitation, said, well, I talked to him this morning. Meaning God is, he's devoted to God in prayer. He, he, He was a man whose 
heart for God in prayer was fueled by who he knew God to be. If you plumb deeply, dive as pastor has led us into the heart of the book of Colossians and you see this supreme savior, creator, sustainer, Lord from whom all things flow, you stand before him and just go, There's no one like you. Wonderful Savior. As we sang today, we fuel our hearts through hymns and texts because your concept of God is what will fuel your devotion to God. I want to suggest that little prayers are often uttered by people who have a little view of who God is and how he acts and what he really does. But if we know him to be who he is, Prayer is not a kind of work through which we devote ourselves so we can get from God something more. It is rather that we are devoted to prayer because our lives have been so powerfully impacted by the God of heaven who condescended to be a man in the same form as are we so that he could lay down his life to redeem us. Matchless. So prayer is this conversation with the Father in heaven who, who wants us to know that we should be talking to him about his will being done in and through us in this ever-expanding influence that we have in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, where, wherever we are because our light shines through us. He's the creator, the redeemer, the Lord, the risen savior, the glorious king, the almighty emperor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. He is worth knowing and serving and glorifying. And for whom, Paul writes, we will gladly suffer that his gospel might be known in our weakness. He would be glorified. Uh, friends, I think small thoughts about God result in small prayers to God. We shrink down from God's will to praying prayers for personal comfort for ourselves and for those that we care about. And as James warns the dispersed uh, church in, in his letter, the, the book of James, he says, you know what, friends, you know what, brothers, he says, you don't have because you're not even asking. And when you ask, the only reason you're asking is to get what you want. How self-consuming is that form of prayer? Your selfish self-interest, James writes, is shriveling your prayers from kingdom work to personal comfort. Is that what we think prayer is, to get what we want? No, says Paul. You should be devoted and alert in prayer to who God is and what he's doing in the world and come into an alignment with what he wants done. Be devoted. The second thing I think Paul is writing to us here is that when you got, know God as he makes himself known and you want what he wants, the content of your devoted prayer is to say to God, what do you want done? What do you care about in our community? You love this world and sent your son. How is it that you want me to be a person who makes disciples here? Who am I going to contact? How will I even know if they're interested? How will I know if the person I've worked beside all of these years actually has any interest at all in the God of heaven? So the content of your prayer really must be an alignment, a realignment 
to what God wants done. So what does that mean? It means, friends, that his rule and reign is to be active in me and through me. It means I'll be busy making him known as the end of my life. I'm, I, I, I am to be, as Paul said, devoted and alert in prayer uh, with his attitude of recognizing God's already at work around me, and it spills over into gratitude. L- look who he is. Look at what he's done. Church, look at yourselves. I mean, some of you could stand up and testify this morning and say, you know what, at one time in my life I had no interest in God. Certainly not a God who was going to restrict my life in any way and change the focus from what I wanted to do to what he wanted to do. No, I wasn't interested in that, thank you very much. I was interested in being captain of my own soul. And then I met Jesus, and now my life is changed. And some of you would testify, I never thought I'd be interested in church. And now when its doors are open, I want to be there because I love the Lord and I really kind of like his people. Uh, Paul's going to write to us about that in just a moment. But when we are devoted to prayer and when we're being watchful and thankful, watchful means you're on alert for God once and you determine that you'll speak to him about those things. Alert means you're paying attention to what God is already doing in the city and you want to join him. You're paying attention to what's happening. You know, so often as I listen to churches talk about the imposition of COVID in them, do you know what they're missing? Is the opportunity that COVID is bringing to their door. Many in our community are hopeless. Many in our community are frustrated. Many in our community are disappointed with government and they have all kinds of opinion about what other people should do, but actually it means that they're far more open to consider the claims of Christ who will give them hope than ever before. And yet we're more worried about meeting than we are about praying to God to be on mission with him now in challenging days. Hmm. Our prayer will then be conditioned by gratitude because Our thankfulness is marked not only by what God has done historically for us in Jesus, and there's a flow of thanks to God for loving this world when it was indifferent and and actually rebellious. And, And that he doesn't leave us as an orphan, but gives us his indwelling spirit and is going to one day bring the consummation of all things and bring all the brokenness, including what death and destruction and illness and sickness have all done, and change that from broken to whole. And we look forward to that. But gratitude is thanking that he is opening for us Doors of opportunity to extend his rule and reign that we, by our engineering smarts and craft, could never do. But prayer does. I was talking to a missionary colleague just this last week. And he said, you know, Dave, I had an amazing experience because I met a pastor who is just retired and he grabbed a few colleagues around him. This is in Japan in a small area, Hitachi Nakai, and... He was saying that when I met this pastor, he said to me, do you know what? If we draw a circle around the area where I'm living, and I think you're living, there is a circle of 40,000 people who have no witness of Jesus in it. I think we should change that. 
And Rob said, you know, the backstory, Dave, is I've been praying to meet this man for over a month. I didn't know who he was. I just believed that God had someone for me to meet in this place to team with to reach more of this area of Japan for Jesus. And I met him. And he said, you know what, Pastor, now that I've met you, I want to say this kindly and respectfully. I really don't care about gathering people who know Jesus. What I really care about is finding people who don't know Jesus and winning them to him. And the pastor and he wept together because that's their heart. What I'm saying to you in this whole passage is that your gratitude will be fueled not only by what God has done historically, not only by what you see God is going to do transcendently in the future, but what God is doing right now. Thank you. Thank you for the doors that you're opening. Thank you for who we're meeting. Thank you for how you're blessing our ministry. Thank you that in a time and a season of COVID, we're seeing hope. We're seeing advancement. We're seeing opportunity. Thank you. And your prayer then will go on because Paul says, you know, devote yourselves to prayer. You know, stay alert in it. Have this attitude of thanksgiving, giving thanks. And then he says to us in verse 3, but you should pray for us too because we're in the same war as you are in a world that doesn't really want to pay attention and we're trying to be creative and we're trying to be attractive and we're trying to be, take the initiative. We need doors that are open. <clears throat> and where's Paul right now? You know where he is, right? He's in prison, so is he saying, open the door, I want to get out. Well, maybe, but that's really not the heart. What he's saying, for, saying to us is, you know, right in the here and now, when I'm constrained and confined, I'm praying that God will open a door of opportunity. And we might not read about it in Colossians, but if we read about it in Philemon, this is what Paul says. You're wondering how it's going. Wish you were here. What in jail? Oh, yes, let me tell you what's going. How God has turned this around. People who were against me and were saying all kinds of things to create scandal and colluding together to make my life miserable. I ended up in prison, and you know what? I have a captive audience every day. When the guard changes, I have a new group of people to talk to about who Jesus is and what he's done for them. And Paul was seeing a great number of the really high-ranking Guards in Rome come to know Jesus. He was beginning to influence Caesar's court. Wow. Is that a door of opportunity? That's a door of opportunity. But frankly, if you're not looking for it, you'll miss it because it was a pretty miserable opportunity at the same time. Do you know what I'm saying? He was confined. It was difficult. But here's a church that took that seriously, I believe, joined and prayed for him. And God was using him in a remarkable way. We need to be praying for our leaders and our missionaries because they're devoting their heart to be on the front line to find opportunities to extend the church, the gospel, the kingdom. Not only will we be doing these things, have a condition of gratitude and be praying for our leaders and missionaries, but our eye is going to be on making disciples. And that's why he says in verse 5, you know, there's a certain way that you need to behave. And you need to be really smart about that. Wisdom in this passage is not mystical. Wisdom in this passage really means sort of the practical understanding of how to behave with those who you need to be a little careful with. 
who you need to be understanding where they're coming from. In other words, you need to have tactics that suit the person that you're talking to and not just a memorized five verses out of the book of Romans that you just give everyone carte blanche. You understand what I'm saying? Is that you've got to pick your time and with your person and discern what to say and what's the edge, how far you can go and how you can be invitational and... Paul is saying in prayer, God the Holy Spirit is going to give you that kind of discernment and understanding. You're going to have your wits about you. You're going to have to be careful. But at the same time, you want your language to be really good, used to good use. And then he says it should be salty. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up understanding that salty language meant it was like bad. Uh, no, that, what is he referring to? Because I don't think it was a vernacular saying at that point. What it really was is, is Paul is saying there needs to be a flavor that changes things. And when you eat something that doesn't have salt, you go, this is bland. You eat something that has a little bit of salt, you go, oh, I'd like a little more of that, thank you. That's what he's talking about. In other words, you don't always have to give everything you know in one shot. You can tease it out a little bit. Make it a little salty and attractive and interesting and savory so somebody says, a little more of that, please. I, I usually feel that way when I go out to eat with Pastor or one of you and have, we eat Sri Lankan food. I go, oh, a little more of that, thank you very much. That's really tasty. That's what Paul's talking about. Language that's invitational. It doesn't have to always be confrontational in your face. Do you know? And then, of course, you use your wisdom to flatten them because you know things that they don't know anything about. That's not what it's talking about. He's talking about invitational approach as you make disciples of people who are around you. And just as we began this service, Jason was leading our devotional and gathered us together and took us to a very well-known passage in John 4, the woman at the well, where Jesus really, if you read the text, had an appointment from the Father with this woman and met with her. And of all the people that we might meet, probably this was the woman that we, like everyone else, would want to avoid. Right? Five husbands now living common law, shacked up, as we might say hasn't bothered with marriage because it hasn't worked out five times. She's not too optimistic about number six. That's a woman with a heap of trouble. And it's in the middle of the day when every wise woman would never be working. And she's on her own when we know women do everything together, right? You women, you do everything together, don't you? Like, I don't know about you, but I've been out for meals with people. Uh, you know, groups of us, and one woman will say to the other something like, oh, I've got to go powder my nose, or I, I, I want to go to the loo or the bathroom. Uh, anyone want to join me? And all the women will get up and go together in a herd. You do things together that men would never do. I've never been out at a men's group, ever, and had one guy at the table say, I'm going to the john. Anyone want to join me? It just doesn't happen. Men don't do this. So when you see a woman alone and you know her backstory, you know that this is a troubled woman. And most of us would go, oh, I don't think I'll talk to her today and just take a pass. And Jesus sends the disciples off. Well, they send themselves off to get food. And he has a life-changing conversation with a woman who is thirsty and doesn't know it. And do you know what happens at the end of that? 
The disciples come as the woman leaves, and he says to them, I've got food you don't know anything about. And they go, what? Someone fed him when we did all of this in the Samaritan village, made ourselves unclean just to give him a snack. They're kind of ticked. And he goes, no, I would miss my lunch any day to bring someone who is far away to Jesus. That's devotion, isn't it, to the Father's will? That's what prayer does when you know who God is and how he's formed you. You want to do all of these things? What I'm saying to you is you need to be attentive in prayer. You need to be focused on the Father's will. You need to be looking for these opportunities. And your eye will see disciple-making open doors. Now, folks, I don't have time to do the second half of my message. Uh, I think like Pastor, he ran out of time when he was dealing with a previous text in the earlier chapter. But the second thing Paul says, if I summarize, it goes like this. You're devoted to God in prayer. You need to be devoted to one another in love. It's a common theme in Paul. And if I come back to you as a group of people, I want to tell you, your choice to love one another as followers of Jesus can only be through the transforming power of the gospel. Because candidly, if you didn't have Jesus in common, you'd have very little in common. You probably would fight a whole lot more, or you would never go where each other is going. But you go now, why? Because you've learned to love one another because God is in them. They are being transformed. You are being transformed. And you are starting to attend and see them in different eyes. You're seeing through the eyes of love and faith in Jesus, right? I hear a lot of people criticize the church. And I've adopted a posture that says, but you should have seen us yesterday. We have changed so much since yesterday because God's at work in us. And so Paul goes through this amazing list of his companions in the gospel. And he starts with, you know, Aristarchus. He reminds us who Aristarchus is and, and what it is that he has done. And he, he, he actually then says, now you want to know about my conditions and what's really going on, and I want you to know. But you understand that there are some things you would never write in an email that you might say to a person over the phone or face-to-face. Do you know what I mean by that? You don't want a record of those things. Why? Because if there was a record and it went to the eyes that shouldn't see it, it would create conflict, it would create difficulty. Well, Paul's in that situation. If he says exactly everything that's going on, and that's in a letter, and the Romans get a hold of that, it could be not only difficult for him, but everyone who's following Christ in all these communities. And so Paul says, you need to know it, but I can't write it. But when Aristarchus comes, he's going to tell you. So he's going to send an ambassador, a person he loves and trusts, who won't put his own spin on things, will really tell things as they are. We need friends like that, don't we? Friends who will do what we can't do, friends who will love us when we're in difficult circumstances, who will stand with us and and, and serve us and care for us, who we can really trust. That happens in the church among mature believers. It happens among you. And he's also going to send Winesimus. And Winesimus, if you don't know, was actually a slave who ran away from his owner, Philemon, and then comes to faith. And Paul has a hand in all of this. And he's sending him back. And he says, yeah, but not as a slave, but now as a brother. What am I telling you that for? Because here is a man that Paul takes time to write about that most in the world would overlook again. 
a runaway slave, price on his head, a man who has broken the law, a criminal, worthy of death. But he's in us. He's changed. There are stories like that here, aren't there? There are. We're stories of grace, transformation. And Paul writes on and he goes through that and then Tychicus and Epaphras and Luke, the doctor who wrote the gospel and also the book of Acts and he calls him the beloved. He has affection. He uses emotional terms that demonstrate the kind of connection and community that we all crave. And Paul says, are possible in a healthy church that is devoted to God and to each other. I think of you that way. I think that you're starting well, going well, growing well. I want to say to you, continue. Understand your calling to be devoted to God in prayer. And understand the work you need to do to allow the gospel to so saturate your heart that you can deeply choose to love one another and have the family that you idealize but that you actually realize, make true in your everyday life as followers of Christ. God bless you.